Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Newsroom Robots, the podcast where we explore the intersection of artificial intelligence and the news industry. I'm Nikita Roy, data scientist, media entrepreneur, and one of the many founders currently building their ventures at the Harvard Innovation Labs. On the Newsroom Robots, I'm excited to bring you insightful conversations with industry experts about how AI is impacting the way we do journalism. Joining me on the show today is Dalia Hashan, the Program and Research Lead for AI and Media Integrity at Partnership on AI. She focuses on the intersection of AI and local news and works extensively on understanding how AI policies and interventions can minimize the harmful impact of AI in various industries. Prior to this role, Dahlia made significant strides in AI policy development in the Ontario government. As a founding member of their AI policy team, she helped write and pass Canada's first digital law. And most recently, she served as a senior policy advisor to Ontario's chief digital and data officer, where she provided key insights on Ontario's digital and data strategies. In this episode, we touch upon the key considerations newsrooms should take into account when procuring AI tools and discuss guidelines for building an ethical AI strategy. Yeah, welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to join the Newsroom Robots podcast. Thank you for having me, Nikita. It's great to be with you. So I'm really eager to hear more about you from all of the work that you're doing. Your organization, Partnership on AI, is truly spearheading the cause of responsible AI use. And so I want to start right there for our conversation today. What does responsible AI usage really look like? And how is Partnership on AI playing a role in this field? It's a fantastic question. Responsible use of AI really just refers to like understanding the entire ecosystem that a AI system or AI tool that is being used exists in. 
And so it's it's just a way of not just evaluating the use of a particular tool itself, um, but to also be able to understand how that tool was developed, where the data was sourced from, how it's being implemented, what impact does it have on like labor, on the organizational culture, on the entire ecosystem in which it exists, and how can we prevent the negative impact of AI throughout that entire process within that entire ecosystem and not just looking at the AI tool or system on its own, kind of independent from all of the other impacting forces that might exist around that tool. Wow, that's basically talking about all of the different topics that I want to touch upon with you today. And I'd like to really get a sense about how are you currently helping journalists navigate this complex landscape of AI and Can you share more about the work that you're currently doing to shape the landscape of use of AI in newsrooms? Sure. So we received a uh, Knight Foundation grant uh, a couple of years ago to be able to do a lot of the work that we're doing, along with some of the other organizations that are, are doing similar work on responsible AI in newsrooms, including the AP and the New York Lab and others. And so what we've been doing is trying to create a toolkit for the responsible use of AI that's directed at newsrooms that kind of provides them with resources to be able to support AI adoption, understanding that a lot of local news organizations are at the very beginning stages of using AI in the newsroom. Either they've used it very lately or they haven't used it at all and are kind of just thinking about it. So putting ourselves in the newsroom's shoes, what would be helpful to have as far as resources are concerned? And that's kind of what spurred on the the, the toolkit. And it was really spurred from feedback that we had received from local news organizations and news organizations at large, what, when, you know, we went around and asked, you know, what, what are you looking for? What can kind of support your current ecosystem? Because that's like a big ethos of how we operate at Partnership on AI is through convening, bringing folks around the table and really hearing from them what's needed, but also being incorporative of their feedback in the work that we do every step of the way. And so we started off by developing an AI tools database that can kind of just catalog the tools that are uh, already out there that are being used by newsrooms or are available for newsrooms to use that are AI tools. And one of our biggest ads to creating this database it came from newsrooms saying, you know, a lot of the websites that we see talk about AI tools, but we don't really understand a lot of the jargon that's being used on these tools and what their value add will be to our newsroom. And we feel like we're being oversold on a lot of these tools. And so the the main value add of the database wasn't just to catalog what the tools that existed were, but it was also to be able to play in language what they did and what their core offering is so that at a glance, you can kind of get an idea of what the core offering of a particular tool is and what was kind of sprinkled marketing, you know, in a sense that you can kind of get from their website. And then we kind of included as much additional information as we could, including the level of like technical knowledge that you need to have in order to operate it, what type of AI you'd be dealing with. And to the best of our ability, the cost, albeit a lot of these tools don't are not very transparent and upfront about the, the cost of, of using them. So that was kind of the first phase was the database. And then we wrote kind of like an analysis blog post, kind of looking at the field in general and trying to 
do an assessment of the various types of AI tools that are available. So we categorized them into like five broad categories. And then we did like a little bit of an assessment of like pros and cons. Like here's how it might help your newsroom to use this types of tools. And here are kind of all of the risks that are associated with using these tools so that you know what you're getting into when you're saying, okay, we want to use a tool uh, that helps support audience engagement, for example. Here are all the things that you might want to keep in mind in that process. So those kind of were the first two products from our, our toolkit. And then the third one that we're currently working on are in the final stages of publishing is the procurement guidebook. So we're working on a guidebook that really walks newsrooms through the entire process of procurement for an AI tool and starts at the very beginning. You're just thinking of procuring an AI tool and goes all the way through not just the procurement, but the adoption, the governance in the newsroom, and then takes you all the way to the end of when should you consider retiring a tool. So it kind of, you know, goes through the entire life cycle and isn't just intended to serve, you know, newsrooms that are looking to purchase AI tools or to procure them, but also if you're like kind of creating them in-house, which is what we see a lot of newsrooms do, they if they have the ability to, they'll develop their own tools in-house. Okay, what kind of questions should you be asking even within your newsroom when you're developing a lot of these tools? And again, this is not a guidebook that we've kind of created in a vacuum. It's been informed by a steering committee that we put together that includes some of the larger newsrooms, including the AP, the BBC, the CBC, and others, but also includes other civil society organizations like Journalism AI and includes tool developers like Lead AI and includes academics as well from various uh, academic institutions that are doing research around the field, just so we can kind of get a rounded uh, group together that, that can provide direct input into the work that we're doing. So it's not just me and my laptop and my research typing away. That's kind of an overview of, of our current work and what we have going on on Partnership and AI that's focused on newsrooms. I know this was a long-winded answer, but I, I really wanted to, to get into it with you. Yeah, well, that's exciting to see the broad range of uh, products that's coming out to help support newsrooms. And I want to delve a bit deeper in regarding AI tools specifically. There's a lot going on in the AI world. As you know, a lot of vendors, plugins, generative AI tools, people just promising solutions that would transform the way that you work. And as newsrooms, when we come across all of these tools, what are the key considerations that you think that we need to be thinking about when engaging with any external AI vendor, be it like a tool or a company that's promising to build something for you, what should we be considering? There's lots to kind of consider from the get-go when you're thinking of, um, you know, adopting an AI tool. First, within your newsroom, right, to be clear on why you need an AI tool. Like, what are you solving for? Is there a particular problem that you're hoping that a like a technology piece added to it can solve? Is there an area of work that you're not able to get to and you're hoping that, you know, this AI tool helps you broaden the types of news that you're able to provide to your listeners, readers, users, whatever medium you use to kind of provide news in. But being very clear on why you need a technological solution is kind of 30% of the journey. And it, it's it's very important because that's how you you can ask those questions of the tool developers to make sure that what they're selling you on isn't just something that is super cool or really trendy and you've heard other newsrooms are using it, but it's something that you actually need and will fill a gap. And so being able to answer that question from the get-go, being able to say, okay, this is where we're at as a newsroom in like going back to the audience engagement 
kind of question. This is where we're at in audience engagement. We hope that adding, you know, an AI tool could help us reach new audiences, whether through like different languages or in different mediums, or even being able to like optimize our content online so that it reaches new audiences. But here's our baseline of where we're at right now. And this is what the additional tool can help solve for us. So then once you're meeting with all of you know, these tool developers or you're, you know, looking through their websites, you have something that you're measuring against. Does this actually help me accomplish this goal or does it not? So that's kind of the, the, the first step of the way. And then when you're looking to evaluate the tool itself, you need to ask questions about how was this tool created? Like for what purpose was it created? Is audience engagement, for example, the main offering of this tool or is it that in addition to you know, three or four other offerings. Because that's what we see from a lot of AI tools that exist in the market is that they offer to do uh, transcription, but also translation, but also, you know, post online for you and post on different, you know, social media platforms at the same time. There's no way that they're doing all five of these things, you know, to an equal caliber. So what is their core offering? What is the main thing that they're really good at that they're selling you on? And what are the other tangential nice to have? Because if you're looking for something that will do translation and the core offering of a particular tool is actually transcription really well, but translation sometimes well, <laughs> or in, you know, only one or two languages really well, and you're buying it for that reason, then it's not going to give you what you're looking for. So kind of being really clear on the other end as well from the tool developer as to what the core offering of that particular tool is, you know, is, is really, really important. So that's kind of the questions that you should ask, like just at the very beginning of considering the tool. Then when you're talking to the tool developer themselves, some of the questions that you might want to ask from the tool developer include things like, are there any additional customizations that we will need to kind of incorporate as a news organization in order to be able to use that tool in the way that we want to? Is it kind of set in the way that it's created or do I have to customize it to my needs? And what does customization and upkeep look like? Does it come with an extra cost? How much control do I have as a newsroom over how the tool gets developed and gets used in the future? So I think that's, that's important to kind of be clear about at the beginning. And then, you know, what is the cost? Is it reoccurring or is it a one-time cost? And then do the products of this particular tool belong to me or do they belong to you? I think that kind of is, is an important question to discern because then that brings us to the question of data. If, especially if you're pulling or if the tool is pulling data from your audience, who then owns that data? You might have access to it as a newsroom, but ultimately the tool developer might end up owning the data. And if they own the data, that means that they can reuse the data in any way, shape, or form that they want to. So then that, that begs the question of how are you reusing the data? How will it kind of impact your future offerings? How can we as a newsroom be transparent with our users that their data is being collected for XYZ purposes? Do the reuses of these data agree with our values as a journalism or as a, as a newsroom? So all of those are like important questions to ask from, from the get-go. And one of the things that we've seen sometimes is sometimes tool developers will develop the tool for a newsroom, but it's not lucrative to use it in newsrooms anymore. And so they kind of take back the tool and they're like, oh, who could we market it to? And maybe 
that new audience that they can market it to are enforcement agencies because they collect data from individuals in a way that's useful for enforcement agencies. So then the question becomes, are we as a newsroom okay with the data being collected from our audience being reused for that purpose? And so those are all things that you need to kind of be clear about from the onset. And uh, especially because a lot of the times, if you're going to train your team, you're going to spend time to train your team on using a particular tool, you're going to incorporate it in your like newsroom production process. It becomes very difficult to then go back and remove the tool from that entire process. So that's why, you know, a huge part of our guidebook is really encouraging people and newsrooms to ask all of their questions up front so that they're going into that procurement process eyes wide open and they ensure that like the tool does for them what they had intended for it to do from the beginning. And then you can ask questions as well. Uh, we encourage you to ask questions about the efficacy of the tool and, and how you can measure if it's doing what it's intended to do. Does the tool developer provide you with any of those metrics? What do those metrics look like? And how do they measure against, again, the baseline that you've previously developed? And then last but not least, kind of being able to get more information from, from the newsroom about what consent they provide like do they do they have like a, a consent disclaimer if the tool is audience facing or do you have to develop your own what kind of notification are they going to give you if the use of the tool changes so again if they start marketing it to a new audience are they going to let you know beforehand are they not those are also important uh, questions to to be able to ask and then are there any ethical considerations that were considered by the tool developers when they were creating the tool and if so what mitigations have they put in place for those ethical considerations? I know that's a huge and tall order, but I think that, you know, some of these questions might not apply the same to all of the tools that you're vetting. Again, you're not going to like call up Grammarly and be like, hey, <laughs> has your data being used? Because like, you know, most people already use Grammarly. But if you're using something that's highly technical and very specific and highly customizable to your newsroom, you 100% should spend the time asking 15, 20, 25 questions of the tool developer to understand what went into creating those tools. That's an extensive list of questions to be talking about. And thanks for that, bringing all about a lot of different topics. And I really want to get into more about like the subset of generative AI and like all of those generative AI tools that are coming about and chat GPT being the biggest one that people are currently using. So like what questions specifically do people need to be thinking about when they come across any of these like fancy new tool on the internet, which is just selling something to you in terms of like thinking about how to incorporate that? How should they be judiciously going about that process? I think if a tool is using generative AI. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. And I'm going to steer away for a second from, like, ChatGPT and, like, the very public tools, because I think those have their own set of considerations about how you use them in a way that is specific to every newsroom. So I think every newsroom needs to have like a very open and frank conversation about how they're willing to use things like Dolly and ChatGPT in their newsroom or not at all, which is like a fair kind of decision to be making. But if you are going to use it, in what ways? Where is it acceptable? What type of oversight are you going to have? Who can use it? Is it the editors? Is it the writers themselves? You know, and uh, what's the checks and balances to these like super open and available tools? But if you're talking about something that's like, you know, a little bit more focused or directed towards journalists. So we have bot writers have been around way longer than ChatGPT has been around. And they've been put to use pretty extensively, especially in Europe, in reporting, you know, sports news or in reporting real estate news. Those, I think, have their own set of considerations when you're vetting a particular company to procure their services for a bot writer. One is to understand what their limitations are. In what areas do these bots perform really well? And in what areas are they unable to to kind of support you in your writing process? So I, I know you had a Jay on the on the podcast a couple of episodes ago, and I, I was talking to him a couple of weeks back, and, and he was saying, you know, we've looked at these generative AI tools that are available, and we've kind of tried to expand our offering beyond sports and beyond uh, kind of particular use cases of when these auto writers can be used. And he's like, they just, they're garbage. Like, they don't perform in the way that we want them to, in a way that lives up to our editorial standards of how we would want to produce some of these articles. And so instead of expanding, we've kind of just kept it to our main offering, which is, you know, sports and, and real estate. And so understanding in what ways some of these bot writers could be used and in what ways they can't, I think gets you a, a huge part of the journey there. And the reason a lot more organizations are comfortable using it for things like sports is because it doesn't need a ton of editorializing. You're just saying, you know, X game happened at Y time. This was the score. You're not adding a lot of color and context, which is where a lot of those like auto raters kind of fail. Right. And so understanding where the the limitations lay is, is really important, I would say, is kind of like a, a first step for using some of these generative AI tools. The second thing is, again, understanding what oversight looks like if you're going to use them. Who gets the final say? Who is reviewing it? And is the person reviewing it well-equipped to make those decisions within your newsroom organization? 
So, for example, if a writer is the one providing oversight for the use of a generative AI tool, are they empowered to then say, hey, we're not going to run this article, we're not going to include it in, you know, for the next deadline because it doesn't meet our standards? Or are you just kind of providing tokenistic oversight? So that's a, a question. The other question is, is the person who's providing oversight actually have enough time to be able and capacity to be able to provide oversight? So sometimes what you see is that, you know, it's one editor, but they they have oversight of like a hundred kind of articles or, or news pieces that are coming out. Oh, there's no way a person is going to be able to devote enough time and energy to be able to properly vet a hundred news pieces. So it, it kind of does the volume match the the oversight. All of those, I think, are, are limitations that uh, we should really think through. And certainly, I think that's a really strategic and thoughtful set of questions to be thinking about when integrating AI and understanding how to fully realize its potential. I'm really curious to know more about the way we approach AI strategy in newsrooms, have to consider the ethics behind it and making sure we build an ethical strategy for our newsrooms. How can newsrooms ensure these considerations and what ethical considerations should they be incorporating in their AI strategy from the start? One, I'd say transparency and disclosure. We have to be very clear on how we're going to be transparent with our audience about when AI is being used. That is both a kind of from a journalistic standard, something that we owe our audiences, but also just from like a, a protection standard, because the, the AI will make mistakes in the same way that humans will make mistakes. And you don't want to be letting your audience know that this mistake was made by a bot or by an AI in the same breath that you're letting them know <laughs> that it made a mistake. So, hey, by the way, we use AI and also, by the way, made a mistake. I think kind of engaging the audiences early on and letting them know where AI is being used in your newsroom, even if it doesn't directly affect them, is important. So you kind of see right now a lot of newsrooms will have like a page dedicated to their AI tools where they're like explaining this is what the tool that we use, this is what it does, this is the tool we use, this is what it does. Will a lot of the readers see this? Probably not, which kind of begs the question of like, is this transparency for transparency's sake? But we'll set that aside for now. And but I think it's important for those who are looking for it to be able to find it. And then when it is facing the audience, so if you are, you know, using bots to help support even in writing an article or in the footage that people are seeing, you know, if it's if it's generated by an AI and isn't real footage or whatnot. So really go the extra mile to let the audience know that that's the case. I think it's very important that we are uh, transparent with our audiences in the various ways that we're using AI that directly impact the news experience that they are, are seeing or reading or what have you. So I think that that extra layer of, of transparency is important and it's important for us to be clear about it from the get-go. Also, just talking more about that specifically, we are having tools coming up that would generative AI tools coming up that would mimic the way you write and this fear of like the journalist's jobs. How do we specifically address that ethical question of what it means for newsrooms, what it means for their employees and their journalists to use such generative AI tools? How would they navigate this ethical issue? So you kind of have to take it step by step across the whole process of using these tools. When are you kind of making that conscious decision from the onset that they can or can't use these tools. Two, how are they meant to be using them? What are the avenues that they're allowed to be using some of these tools in? And what are avenues that we have decided as a newsroom that it is a no-go for us to be using some of that 
either, you know, generative content, fake content, however you want to like kind of describe it in the news offerings that we have. And being very clear at the onset with that, with journalists is important. Socializing your journalists on that as well is important on why you're incorporating these tools. Is it to replace the current journalists that you have? Is it to support their ongoing work? Is it to alleviate some of the mundane tasks that they have to do on a regular basis? I think that communication piece is important. I think listening to the journalists in your newsroom and talking to them before you even start considering adding some of these technological pieces is important to get their also input as to, you know, what are your current pain points? What are some of the tasks that are super repetitive that you hate doing that you think technology can solve for? And all of a sudden, you're bringing journalists along in the process instead of creating an inherently antagonistic kind of relationship between them and the technology that you're proposing that they use. And so I think, again, doing the work beforehand and as you're incorporating some of these technologies will help mitigate a lot of these ethical risks that we're talking about. And then brings us back to not just the oversight, but how are you monitoring on the long run that the AI tools are performing the way that you want them to. So that there's like the oversight on like, you know, this particular news piece, you know, we're making sure that like someone's reading over or someone's like providing meaningful editorial oversight over uh, the production of this particular news piece. But when we're talking about things like recommender systems or AI tools that do like kind of personalize the news experience or, or what have you, how do we ensure that they are performing the way that we want them to on a regular basis? Is there like a regular audit that we're doing of our AI tools? Is there something that we're doing to continually monitor how they're being used? Or are we just kind of setting them free into the wild and hoping for the best? Because that's when you get problems of like bias or like echo chambers of news or, you know, showing your audience even just one type of news very repetitively because they clicked on like a basketball article once. So it, it kind of gets you into things that might even backfire on you as a newsroom and, and do the exact opposite of what was intended from an AI tool. Yeah. And you touched upon it slightly about the risk of bias. And a couple episodes ago, we had Dr. Gregory Gondway on the show, who spoke about his research with generative AI outputs having inherent biases, like ChatGPT, regarding countries from Africa. And that just brought up this really valid concern of how AI tools can unfortunately just perpetuate and amplify these biases very seamlessly in their outputs. And how do you see newsrooms implementing measures to detect and kind of mitigate all of these biases that could come about in AI-driven contents if this rise towards generative AI is more incorporated within newsrooms? I think it's it starts with integrating the, the data sources of the tools that you're using and being clear with the tool developers, whether they're in-house or external to your organization, on what the data inputs are. If your tool is being trained specifically and only in the English language, then be clear and transparent about it and only use it in those contexts. Don't try to force kind of, you know, translating the content into, into different kind of outputs, knowing well that it only applies to kind of a Western audience or is only trained on like Western audience or whatever it might be, right? So interrogating the data inputs at the beginning is, is important. And then once you are kind of using it and, and you have all these outputs, Having that oversight is important. Having the areas where you know there are continual audits that are being conducted on those outputs to ensure that they're operating the way that they ought to. And then 
also kind of being mindful of the areas in which you wouldn't want to use an AI tool. So things like breaking news, things that are, you know, uh, moving really fast. And you know for a fact that you're not going to be able to have that oversight that you would normally have for any other news piece. Maybe then we don't use the AI tool during, you know, a breaking news incident or an incident that, that has continual updates. Stuff like that, I think, is important. Looking and comparing the outputs of AI tools for headlines, for example, across the board. So kind of as part of that audit saying, OK, here's some samples of the headlines that were being generated by our AI tool. Are they being sensationalized or biased when it comes to a particular racial group over others? Again, if that is the data that the system, AI system is being fed as to like our previous history with headlines that, you know, we all know falls into a number of, of biases and, and pitfalls previously, then how can we expect that same tool to generate anything that's different? And the only way we know, unfortunately, is if we're being called out on it by our audiences or if we do our own due diligence on the back end and, and really spend time not just with the oversight, but with the like kind of system level audit that I'm talking about. Yeah, well, that's a really interesting point about being careful about the data sources. And one of the issues with like generative AI tools that exist, like ChatGPT, is not knowing what their data source is really. That brings in all of that inherent bias risk. And I think that's an interesting point that you've brought up there. I'm really curious from all of your research really so far, where do you see the biggest impact of AI on newsrooms? I think where we're seeing it right now is in automating a lot of the tasks that journalists don't want to do but are forced to do because of the nature of, you know, social media and fast, you know, the internet and all of that being introduced to journalism. So there are pieces in the news production process that I don't think journalists are too thrilled about doing but kind of have to do as part of the job that can kind of be automated now using AI tools. And I think that's kind of the biggest value add. I know we kind of like to talk about the big generative AI pieces or, you know, some of the almost transformational AI tools. And I think the time for that will come. Don't get me wrong. I just don't think they're as good as we would hope for at this stage to be able to use them and incorporate them as seamlessly. I do think the AI tools that have been put to good use are ones that kind of do automate regular and repetitive tasks for journalists or kind of provide avenues for us to be able to share news in multiple formats in a way that would have previously required a translator to be present, a social media editor to be present, a video creator to be present. And now all of a sudden you have all these like tools that are fairly effective at, you know, translating content or being able to turn, you know, a podcast like the one we're discussing into a video with kind of transcribed content on said video so that people can watch and listen at the same time. So all of those are, you know, distribute what we name as like kind of distribution tools, I think are also a good avenue for, for newsrooms to be able to expand their audiences and reach new audiences. And it also impacts their sustainability because if you can reach new audiences, those are all kind of new income revenues. So... That's been uh, really valuable to see all of the different ways in which you are really experimenting with AI and seeing newsrooms looking at AI. I'd really love to know more about, as we wrap up our conversation, just really wondering about what can we expect more from partnership on AI in terms of all of the resources, guidance and support? Uh, what future are you building for us to help newsrooms? 
So we have right now, as I mentioned, we have our guidebook that we're working on. It's on its final stages and we're hoping to publish it in draft format for, for feedback from newsrooms and other folks in the field before we kind of finally publish it as a final product. So I think that folks can keep an eye out for and, and give us feedback for as well when it, when it's shared publicly. The other part is uh, we have a synthetic media framework that uh, we have published previously, and it was uh, published by our AI media integrity team, which I'm part of. And they've worked for the past year and a half or so with some of the biggest tech companies to say, okay, how can we provide specific guidance and, and principle-based approach to the use of synthetic media? What does that look like for both the user, the creator, and the um tech developer. So it kind of covers all three pieces of that production cycle to say, you know, what does responsible AI through that entire process look like? And so far, we've had 10 companies adopt that that framework, including Meta, Microsoft, TikTok, Bumble. And so what we're really trying to do is, is bring some of the biggest generative AI and synthetic media creators uh, around the synthetic media framework. And I think it provides a great starting point for newsrooms as well who are thinking about using synthetic media in opening doors and, and questions around what responsible use looks like. And so I think some, one of our next steps is to kind of bring some of those themes of disclosure and transparency that are highlighted in the synthetic media framework closer in application to newsrooms in a more kind of targeted and specific way. Wow, that's really exciting to hear all of these resources. Thank you for your commitment to supporting newsrooms, helping navigate this AI landscape. And then thank you for joining us and shedding light on all of the work that you're doing. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. That was Dolia Hashim, the Program and Research Lead for AI and Media Integrity at Partnership on AI. This podcast is made possible thanks to the Harvard Innovation Lab's Spark Grant. I'm Nikita Roy, and this is Newsroom Robots.